Our leader will now share for 20 to 25 minutes describing what it was like, what happened, and what it is like now. Our leader for tonight is Frank. Hello, my name is Frank, and I'm a recovered compulsive reader. And I'll pass my pictures around to prove it. Um, I recently gave a 45-minute share, and I've got my page of cryptic notes so I'll try to just do a subset of these, otherwise you guys are going to be able to share it all. So anyway, um, I came into OA in August of 79, so in a week or two I'll have 39 years uh, in the program. I had nine years of, of abstinence initially, and a big weight loss I'll tell you in a second. Then I had 18 years of relapse recovery, relapse recovery back and forth, and right now I have 12 years of abstinence. Now in terms of weights, my top weight before the program was 430 pounds. I actually came in the doors at around 380. I got down to 200 pounds within the first year in the program, and was that, that was my goal weight, and I stayed most close to there for the rest of the first nine years there. Then in the relapse and recovery periods, thank God it wasn't all relapse because I'd be dead if it was all relapse, but I would gain a lot of weight in the recovery periods, lose a little bit of weight in the recovery, I'm sorry, gain a lot of weight in the relapse periods, <laughs> lose, a lot, lose a little weight in the recovery periods, but of a sawtooth up and up and up, and I got to a higher top weight during that of uh, the relapse of 460 pounds in the mid-1990s. And then 12 years ago, I, I finally surrendered, and my weight was 400 pounds on that day. And it took me about two years to get down to 210, which would be a fine goal, weight for, for me right now. I'm currently in my 230s, and I'd like to be in my 210s, so I'm about 20 pounds over what I would like to be. And this is not due to any break in abstinence or you know binging or anything like that. I figured it out. It was just like 20 extra calories per day for 10 years will give me that 20 pounds. Wow. So it doesn't take very much. Um, in terms, <laughs> I missed that. But okay. Sorry. In terms of food, um, I, in terms of weight and food, I, I didn't really know as I, I was an overeater until seventh grade when my dad said when I was taking a second helping of mashed potatoes, he said, "You know, if you just stayed at this weight, you'd be fine as you grew taller." And I didn't know I wasn't fine until that point. Um, but then in eighth grade, I got called hippo, and uh, that was terrible. I hated that. Uh, during by the end of high school, I was probably thirty pounds overweight, which would you know be nothing. That's that's nothing very significant. But then I gained about fifty pounds in my freshman year in college because they they had unlimited seconds. Oh, no. And then I probably finished college at around three hundred, and I came out here to go to to uh, Stanford for graduate school. And it was at Stanford that I got to four hundred and thirty pounds, and I was miserable and got addicted to alcohol and weed because of, I was so miserable with my weight. And um, I was uh, raised Catholic, but I converted to atheism in high school because I got into science and physics and you know, that I could prove that God didn't exist. So um, I really needed to hit a hard bottom to come to a program that talked about uh, God. And um, the bottom wasn't just the weight and the alcohol and the marijuana, and I, I, was, smoking, I was smoking several joints a day and a uh, six-pack of, of Old English 800. But that wasn't the, the bottom. The bottom was that I became friends with this, this woman at work, and then after a while it was more than friends, and then she wanted to end it and go back to just being friends. And that was the bottom that I hit because this was the only woman in the world for me. Nobody else would love me at 380 pounds. And so I called um, the Palatal Medical Foundation, and they said there was a therapist who had come in there and given a talk recently, and... I called him and he said he, I could, he would take me on as a client, but I had to go to Overeaters Anonymous meetings simultaneously. 
And I, uh, I, I luckily there was no internet. So the only thing I did was look up Overeaters Anonymous in the phone book. I found the number. I called. I found out where there was a meeting. And I showed up at the meeting. It was a noon meeting on Wednesday in, at the Stanford campus. And it was a very small meeting, like three people plus me. And uh, when, I heard it, when I heard it was a spiritual program, I said, okay, how can an atheist work this program? And they tried to reassure me, don't worry. You, know, you don't have to believe in the traditional higher power. You can use the group as your higher power. Anything you want, it's up to you to decide what your higher power is. I didn't quite believe them, but they, somebody at that meeting loaned me the AA Big Book and said, read the chapter, We Agnostics. So I took the book home, I read that chapter, and then I was convinced this program was not for me, <laughs> because the only message I got from that chapter was, if you stick with us, we'll convert you. I didn't want to be converted. <laughs> but I had to go back to the second meeting to return the book that I had borrowed. <laughs> if it had been a gift, I probably wouldn't be here today. And... Um, and I had another little dose of pain in the week between those two meetings, and so I was a little more willing at the second meeting to believe them when, I, when they said I didn't need to believe in a traditional higher power. So I ended up going to my third meeting the same day I went to the second meeting, and the third meeting was an evening meeting down in San Jose, and it was a bigger meeting. It was like 30, 40 people, something like that. And there I got the hope I needed because a man, a thin man stood up there in front of the meeting, and he said that he had lost over 100 pounds and had kept it off for years. And, you know, I wasn't even aiming for thin. I was aiming to go from morbidly obese to obese. That was, you know, probably what I could expect. Maybe that would be possible, and maybe I could stay at just the obese level instead of the morbidly obese level. So um, that's what gave me the hope. So I, I got a food plan. Um, I, won't, yeah, I won't tell you about how I got off of beer and all that stuff, but I, I did get a food plan. I did get off beer, um, and after six months I got off weed. You can ask me after the meeting. And... Um, I uh, counted calories because being a physicist, you know, the law of conservation of energy was what I was going by, and I, so that's, that's what made sense to me. I did get a food, a food sponsor, but I didn't get a step sponsor because the steps had the word God in them. Finally, at about six months into the program, um, after I lost about, um, I don't know, 80 pounds, something like that, this man volunteered to be my sponsor, and he had been cut out of the same mold I had been cut out of. He was you know, more, more than 100 pounds overweight. He was multiply addicted. He was an atheist when he came into the program, and he had gotten thin. So the, what, he had to, what, me had, what he had me do on the second and third step is to, first of all, give up the debate. So my little proof that God didn't exist, what good would that do me in the world? It wouldn't do me any good at all. Whereas if I could come to believe that a power greater than myself could restore me to sanity, what good would that do? Well, that would do a lot of good. Being restored to sanity sounds like a good idea. Now, if I could rewrite the second step, being a physicist, instead of saying come to believe, because physicists don't come to believe, I would, I would change it to gathered evidence that a power greater than myself can restore me to sanity. And that's what I do each day as I turn my will and my life over to the care of God. I'm gathering evidence that my life works better if I do that. If I, if I pretend there's a higher power, and if I turn my will and my life over to the care of that higher power, then uh, my life works better. And then the second thing he had me to do was to act as if and to pray even though I didn't think it was praying to anything. So I said the serenity prayer, and I usually got serenity because that's usually what I needed. I was trying to get things to change that I couldn't change. So um, that's how I started out. And then um, so I originally kind of used the group as the higher power because I got a lot of strength when I went to the meetings, and, and um, that gave me support. And then I, within the first year or so, I, I basically came up with the same higher power that I have today, but um, I call it the higher self or the God within. 
And a lot of the uh, OA literature, AA literature, and uh, things like that talk about intuition as being our conduit to God. If we ask in prayer for what, what's God's will for us, the intuitive thought that comes, that's God's answer. So I basically turned intuition into my higher power. The main thing I need to know is that the Frank that's sitting here right now, talking to you right now, is not the higher power. And that there's an intuitive part of me, a higher self within me, that, is, that has that, that strength to not take that first bite one day at a time. And that's what I need to turn my will and my life over to. And in fact, I, I've got a whole little theory that I'm writing up about um, my, my higher power. And, um, and what, I, what, I, what I do is I talk about the part of my, my brain that's talking to me, you know, the one that's always talking to me with the inner voice. I call that the thinker. And the thinker is a problem solver. He wants to solve problems. Now, to a problem solver, everything's a problem. So that, that can lead to a negative critical attitude towards life because, you know, there, there's a problem here. And if, and if there is no problem here, then that's a problem. How, how am I going to solve that problem? <laughs> so I have to go off and look for a problem. You know, is there something I can criticize right here and right now? No, okay, then I'll go into the past and try to find a problem. And that usually re- leads to a resentment. Or I'll go off into the future and try to find a problem. That usually leads to fear because I won't be able to solve the problem in the future. My, my meditation teacher said, what I'm doing there is I'm rehashing and rehearsing. I'm rehashing the past and rehearsing the future. The other way of saying that is I'm having conversations with people who are not in the room. I'm thinking about what I wished I had said to that guy last week, or I'm thinking about what I'm going to say to that person when I see them again. So that, that's what the thinker does. And... Um, you know, negative emotions are a problem for the thinker because how, how am I going to make sure this doesn't happen again? Whatever caused me to be upset or angry or sad, how am I going to make sure it doesn't happen again? Positive emotions are a problem for the thinker. How do I make sure this happens all the time? And the thinker can turn a positive emotion into a negative emotion like fear. I'm afraid what's going to happen if this goes away. You know, this, if my wife doesn't love me anymore, what's going to happen? So, um, so basically, the thinker leads to a lot of suffering. And if you look at all those things, those are all, all about selfishness and self-centeredness. And that's what the big book says is the root of our problems. Selfishness, self-centeredness, that we think is the root of our problems. And I have a, a thing that I heard at a meeting not too long ago that, is, that I really love. And it's a questionnaire about, am I selfish? So here it is. If I am resentful, it is because someone did not do what I wanted them to do in the, pa- to do in the past They did not do it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am angry, it is because someone is not doing what I want them to do right now. They are not doing it my way, and that is being selfish. If I am fearful, it is because I know that someone is not going to do what I want them to do in the future. They are not going to do it my way, and that is being selfish. And finally, if I am am feeling guilt or remorseful, it is because I got my own way at your expense, and that is being selfish. So, you know, the selfishness and self-centeredness is, is in all of those cases there and, and everything else. You know, it's, it's like what the thinker wants to do is he wants to arrange everybody and get everybody to do exactly what he wants them to do. It's like that actor in the big book, the actor who's trying to arrange the whole show. That's what the thinker is, is trying to do that. And that's me, Frank. That's me, the addict. And there's a higher self part of my brain that is not that thinker that can, that can help that thinker become more sane. So, so that's, that's kind of what my, um, my higher power and who I am is. And, 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 you know, to me, what a spiritual awakening is, is that I will, if I, as I have a spiritual awakening, I will identify less and less with the thinker. 
I won't think that that's who I am. And I can identify more and more with the higher self within me and, and get, get in touch with that higher power more directly. So that, that's what a spiritual awakening is for me. Now, um, getting back to food, the, you know, in my first time in the program, I, like I said, I started out counting calories and then it got to be moderate meals. And what, what led to my relapse and recovery is that I was in between sponsors at the time. And um, my food plan when I go to buffets was to have just one plate. That was my moderate meal. Now, it could have been close to avalanching off the side of the plate, but as long as it didn't, that was what I could eat, one plate. And then I went to, I was also very active in service. I was the chairperson of the intergroup in San Jose. I was the World Service Business Conference delegate. I was, you know, I was asked to speak at all kinds of meetings all over the place. I was a, I was a keynote speaker at a Region 2 convention. And my ego was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then I had a binge. I went to a buffet and I had three plates. Now, the second and third plates weren't as full as the first plate, but three doesn't equal one. And then I couldn't tell anybody about that because then I had to give up all the service positions, and I didn't have a sponsor. So I kept it secret, and then a week or two later, I had another binge and another binge, and then I finally had to admit, after I gained some significant amount of weight, I had to admit that I was no longer abstinent and gave up the service positions. And I went from being very active in the program and going to all the retreats and conventions and things like that that I could to kind of just going to my one Saturday morning meeting, and that would be it. Now, I would go more often when I was in my re recovery periods, and I would go less often in, in the relapse periods, but um, you know, I probably averaged one meeting a week with fewer when I was in relapse and more when I was in recovery for those uh, 18 years. So, and I kept trying to count calories and it didn't work anymore. I couldn't do it anymore. That doesn't work. I, so I got to try other things and I tried all kinds of abstinences. And, and you know, I, I got to 460 as my top weight, but most of my weight was spent, most of my time was spent in the, in the 350 to 400 range. That's kind of my home range there. I'd get to 400 pounds and get disgusted and get abstinent and get down to 350. Oh, that's fine. Okay, then I can eat some more and then I get back up there again. So that's where I spent a lot of the time. And then I uh, retired in the year 2000, and I was going to work this program in the year, you know, I was going to work this program in retirement. I could go to a meeting a day, and I could get really uh, dig into this program. And I, um, it took me another six years to get my abstinence. So I had six more years of slipping and sliding, um, going to a lot more meetings since I was retired, but um, just not able to do it. Oh, I, I, I wanted to give one example of, I'm, I'm a really a quantity eater is what I do. And even in my first abstinence in OA there, I could demonstrate that I was still a quantity eater because I ate so many cantaloupes that my skin turned orange. I was eating like one to two cantaloupes a day because they were low calories. I counted the calories and I ate them, and they were, but I was compulsive about it. And so finally when somebody noticed that my skin was turning orange, oh, maybe I should give up the cantaloupes. <laughs> so, you know, I, I can get compulsive about everything. So I got 10 more minutes. Okay. So I wanted to talk about my food plan in these past 12 years. So. What happened is, um, you know, I told you during the relapse period, I didn't go to conventions or retreats or anything like that. And finally, in June, on June 26th of 2006, um, I had, well, I had, I had heard that there was going to be a Region 2 convention over in Oakland that year. And June 26, 2006 was the Monday before the convention. So I decided to go to the convention on the Monday before the convention. And it would good to, be good to have a few days of abstinence before I went to the convention. So I started on the Monday, and I went to the convention on a Friday. I went to a meeting a day that week and I had five days of abstinence when I, um, before I went to the convention. 
And then at the convention, I met all my old friends who kept going to conventions when I stopped. So I, I, met, a, I met a lot of people that I had known earlier in OA, and I just hadn't seen them for years. And I got a, a big dose of recovery from go, going to all the meetings and hearing all the speakers and everything. And so I decided to go to a meeting a day. So I went to 90 meetings in 90 days, and that was working so well, I actually kept up a meeting a day for about three years. And sometimes I would miss a day, but then I'd go to two meetings another day to keep the average at, at a meeting a day for the three years there. Then I gradually kind of slowed down from you know five meetings a week to, seven, to four to currently my minimum requirement is about three meetings a week. If I get less than three meetings a week, I'm in trouble. So the other thing that happened is I tried counting calories again, and this time it worked. So I started my 12 years of abstinence here counting calories, and I was pretty rigorous about it. But I, I've always been in favor of imperfect abstinence. You know, if I'm trying to be perfect, then if there's, if there's brittleness in that abstinence, when it breaks, you know, all, hell's, all hell breaks loose. You know, I can go eat as much as I want. So um, the way that I tried to do the imperfect abstinence with counting calories is that I had a goal, like 1,500 calories a day was my goal to, to lose weight. And, but I had an upper limit, like 2,500 calories a day, which I didn't want to go over. And so that was my kind of warning track. You know, uh, if I get into that warning track of 15 to 2,500, watch out and, you know, be careful. Don't go over 2,500. Now, I have to tell you that sometimes I was much more rigorous at counting the calories. I actually weighed and measured or I, ha I, I, I like to eat packages that have calories on it because then I just take that calorie number off the package. But there were other times when it was a little eyeballing instead of weighing and measuring. And so I probably went over 2,500, but I always wrote down 2,500 <laughs> if, if worse came to worse. So, so that worked for a while there. And then gradually I kind of went back to the moderate meals thing. And, um, and then the, um, what, what I've been doing more recently, and somewhere in the middle of this 12 years, I came up, well, I actually heard some speaker talk about this, and I liked it, so I adopted it. So part of my abstinence is that I abstain from starting over. Because that's what I did during the entire 18 years of relapse and recovery. If I had one bite too much, oh, I blew it. Eat as much as I want the rest of the day. You know, I got to get my last meal in that has every single binge food that I want to eat and the quantity that I want to eat of it, and then I'll start again tomorrow. But then tomorrow is, never happens. You know, the only day that we have is today. On the phone pads that go around, I used to write in the comments section one day at a time. I realized in my current, current 12 years of abstinence here, you can't do one day at a time. I can't do anything about what happened this morning at breakfast or what's going to happen between now and when I go to bed. So I now change it to one moment at a time, and that's the way that I really think I have to live it. I have to live it one moment at a time. I have to stay in the present moment. That's what spiritual awakening is all about, I think. Because it's, it's that rehashing and rehearsing of the past and the future is where I get into trouble. If I can stay in the present moment and not criticize the present moment too much, then um, I have a chance at recovery. So, um, so the, there's the no starting over. And then about um, a year ago, I was noticing that I was getting very compulsive about free foods, like at Trader Joe's and at Whole Foods. Now, I'm not talking about stealing food, like nuts out of the nut bin, you know, I, I, I always thought that was stealing, so I didn't do that. But if they had a sample out that was free for you to take, I would take it. And I would, at Trader Joe's, I would figure out ways of going around the store two or three times to get to that sample uh, counter and get, you know, several samples. Whole Foods, I knew every place that they might have some samples out. And, you know, they always had toothpicks for the, the, the olives, so, you know, that meant I could eat as many olives as I wanted. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> finally, at some point there, and then of course the, the worst part is like you know at, at a church where they have goodies out after the services or things like that. So the worst, I, I finally, you know, got sick and tired of being sick and tired of doing that, and so I now have a no free food part of my policy of my uh, food plan, no free food, and um, the most recent thing that I've just been doing for about two months, and I really really like it, is I as I do steps one, two, and three. Be- before eating. So the idea is this. If, if I am thinking about eating, like maybe I'm thinking, you know, I think I could use a snack. Yeah, I think I'm hungry. Maybe I should use a snack. I try to remember to use that thought that I'm thinking about feeding, eating to remember to do steps one, two, and three. And, you know, I could actually just read the, the text of the step, but the, 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 the way that I'm thinking of it to myself here is I say something like this to myself. I say, if I am really powerless over food, then I have no business deciding when, what, or how much to eat. God, please help me make the right choice. Something like that. It doesn't have to be exactly those words, but that's the whole idea. It's doing steps one, two, and three, and asking for God's help right there and then. And then there's one other thing I do, which I started out with texting to my sponsor just the numbers one, two, three. And the reason why that's important is otherwise I can say, I can say that prayer really fast and then just dig in and eat. By having the requirement that I text one, two, three to my sponsor, I have to take out my phone, find his text messages, type in one, two, three, and send it to him. Now, sometimes, and then I, I, more recently, one of my sponsees is doing the same thing, one, two, three. So he and I have been texting one, two, three back and forth to each other. So sometimes I add more to that. For example, if I was thinking about having a snack and I do one, two, three, and I decide not to have a snack, in other words, if God actually suggested maybe you shouldn't have a snack, then I text to him, one, two, three, didn't have a snack I was thinking about. And I've noticed, for example, there was a, a family meal that I was at uh, a couple of weeks ago. So they were passing the dishes around and everything. And I'd done one, two, three pretty rigorously, and I was going to try to be moderate here. And I was noticing that when I was taking the scoop and putting it on my plate, it was a much smaller scoop than I normally would put. In fact, it was smaller than most of the other people around the table there. So that is, that's the miracle of one, two, three for me. It's not, it's not me doing it. You know, I'm powerless over food. I have no business deciding what, when, or how much to eat. And if I do step, if I do one, two, one, two, three, each time I'm about to eat, I've been finding some really pretty miraculous um, results from that. So I'd recommend it. And if you get good results, let me know. Um, and then the other, th- the, the the difference between my first part in the program it was all ego driven in the first part of the program, and I'm really trying to not do that now. I'm really trying to do this the prayer and meditation. And I, I took a, a class on meditation, and I did all the homework. And the result is now for the past almost eight years, I've meditated every day. And in fact, the average meditation is about 30 minutes. I, I've got an app that keeps track of all this, and I've been ed- meditating for actually 2,114 days or something like that. So that's how many days I've been meditating. And it keeps track that I have med- I've meditated every one of those days. And it tells me the average was just a half hour. And that means that sometimes I do an hour and sometimes I do five minutes. You know, if I haven't meditated and it's late at night and I'm getting ready for bed, I'll do a five-minute meditation and then go to bed. Um, I have to say that sometimes I set it for 30 minutes and I fall asleep <laughs> in the middle of that. But I, I figure I did at least five. And um, I'm, better, I'm better at doing meditation in the morning. I'm less likely to fall asleep in the morning if I do it in the morning. So uh, the meditation has been a helpful part of it. And then I also like prayers, but I like short prayers. So one of my favorites is more God, less Frank, and that's what I need in my life, more of God's will and God's grace, less of Frank's selfishness and self-centeredness. 
And you know, I'm as powerful as over my, I'm as powerless over my selfishness and self-centeredness as I am over the food. I have to get God's help for that. Trust and relax is another one. Or um, thy will be done. That's from the big book. I wish I'd said that more often, but I'm not. I don't. And then I am not in charge is another short one. A little bit longer one is, God, thank you for this opportunity to practice my patience. This is useful if I'm like in a grocery line where things aren't moving and the other lines are moving quicker. I can say, God, thank you for this opportunity to practice my patience. I might have to say it a couple of times, but usually I am more patient after I do that a few times. Um, another, another one that I got from someone else is, God, please make my character defects glaringly obvious before I act on them. You know, it, they often become obvious after I've acted on them. I'd like to know before I act on them. And in my last one in 10 seconds or whatever, I'd really, really like to make a push for um, step 10. I, I recently redid the steps in the OA Primary Purpose Big Book Study Method, if, if nobody has heard about that. And there I learned that I was never doing step 10 correctly because I thought if I was doing step 10 a couple of times a month, oh, I'm doing step 10, you know. I learned that I should be doing it at least a couple times a day, if not a couple, you know, if not more often than that. So I and I am not up to a couple times a day, but I'm doing my best to as, to do what I can. And the so the step ten rule is this: continue to watch for was I selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid? And those are all about self. It's all about me, me, me. You give me a, another minute. Um, and the first thing you do after you notice that you were selfish, dishonest, resentful, or afraid is ask God, please remove this defect at once. Because I'm as powerless over this defect as I am over my compulsive reading. So I need God, God's help on that. And then the next thing is discuss this with someone immediately. Now, I thought that was an optional part of step 10. Like, you know, discuss it with somebody. If I might have to make an amends for this thing that I did, you know, talk to my sponsor, see if I should make an amends or not. And it's not. This is like skipping step five if you're working the 12 steps. If you don't do that, discuss it with someone immediately. Because that's part of being humble and admitting that I was wrong, that I did something wrong, that I was, I was, I was embarrassed about what I did, telling someone else, telling my sponsor. And the text message makes it very easy to do these days. And then if I've harmed someone, make amends quickly. So that's, that's pretty obvious. And then the next one is also extremely important. I turn my thoughts to someone to help. Now, that could be making a 12-step call, calling somebody to talk to them, but it can also be opening the door for people at a store or anything like that. My favorite way of doing that is to slow down on the freeway and let somebody pull in front of me instead of making sure I get in front of them. So, so turning to someone else to help, and then love and tolerance of others is my code, and that's the end. Thank you.